open up the Word of God to 1 Samuel chapter 21. We're going to continue in this series. Thank you, Shannon. Hey, I think we should celebrate Alan and Shannon. How about that? Man, talking about our series before and after. Before Alan met Shannon and before Shannon met Alan. <laughs> but we, we praise God for what he's doing in your life together and um, celebrate. We celebrate that sincerely and, and thank, God for, thank God for both of you. And uh, going to jump into this before and after uh, series that we're in that, uh, you know, that I was talking about last week that before it was hard for me to remember before I met Reagan what life was like, and uh, now here we are, and it's good for me to remember. But I want to share this word today, um, and this is going to help us find our footing. Last week, if you pray for me, I'm going to grab this water. I had to get back in preaching condition because I lost my voice last week, and I'm still getting it back. So I hope that I I can get this to you. I'll pray, pray that my voice will last. It's been been a while. I preached I preached hard last week, and uh, I lost my lost my voice. But First Samuel chapter twenty one verses one through nine. Then David came to Nob, to Ahimelech the priest, and Ahimelech came trembling to meet David, and said to him, Why are you alone and no one with you? And David said to Ahimelech the priest, The king has commissioned me with a matter and has said to me. Let no one know anything about the matter on which I am sending you and with which I have commissioned you, and I have directed the young men to a certain place. Now, David is, is embellishing what's really going on here because he's in trouble. Verse 3, now, therefore, what do you have on hand, David asked. Give me, give me loaves of bread, five loaves of bread, or whatever can be found. And the priest answered David and said, there is no ordinary bread on hand. But there is consecrated bread, if only the young men have kept themselves from women. And David answered the priest and said to him, Surely women have been kept from us as previously when I set out and the vessels of the young men were holy, though it was an ordinary journey. How much more then today will their vessels be holy? So the priest gave him consecrated bread, for there was no bread there but the bread of the presence which was removed from before the Lord in order to put hot bread in its place when it was taken away. Now one of the servants of Saul was there that day detained before the Lord, and his name was Doeg the Edomite and the chief of Saul's shepherds. And David said to Ahimelech, Now is there not a spear or a sword on hand? For I brought neither my sword nor my weapons with me, because the king's matter was urgent." I don't know if anybody feels about the days that you're living in or where you are in life is urgent, but I can feel that. Then the priest said, the sword of Goliath, the Philistine, whom you killed in the valley of Elah, behold, it is wrapped in a cloth behind the ephod. If you would take it for yourself, take it, for there is no other except it here. And David said, there is none like it. Give it to me. Give it to me. God, that's the cry of our heart this morning, to receive the weapons that we need for victory. There is none like the weapons that come from your presence, that come from your word, and we say together, give it to me. 
Lord, I come even as David came to his brothers at the battle line, and I run to the battle line this morning. I'm just carrying some bread and cheese. And God, I pray that you will multiply it, multiply it in our hearts. Let it be sustenance to our spirit. And God, now as I preach these words, would it not be by words of wisdom, but by the demonstration of the power of God in your spirit, that our faith would be founded upon the word of God and not the devices of men. God, we thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. When I talk about before and after, Reagan and I were talking a little bit this week about uh, Fixer Upper. We like to watch those renovation shows. Uh, we, we watch Home. I don't, like, I don't like Home, that hometown or Home? Hometown. I don't like it as much as Fixer Upper. Uh, I just, I don't know, that's just me. But uh, we love to watch those shows and seeing the before and afters and getting a little glimpse of the process of what it takes to be able to bring it from one condition to one that is just such a surprise to the owners of the home, and they get to walk into something new, and they didn't even have to do the work. They had to pay the money, but they didn't have to do the work. And, uh, man, that ain't that good when you get to pay the money. You don't have to do the cooking or the dishes, or you get to pay the money, and you don't have to do the work. But sometimes it's good to be able to do it on your own, too. When Reagan and I moved into our house in March, we the first thing we did was we renovated a lot of things. We, we cleaned all the walls. Man, there was, there was cat hair all over the wall. I can't tell you how much cat hair was on the walls. We, we came in, we had to wipe them down and clean cat hair off the walls. Then we had to vacuum the walls, and then we painted them. We stripped up floors and laid them. We were on the floor. We, we damaged our plumbing in the bathroom when we were laying the floor, and we had to put, install two new toilets, do new subflooring. We had to do the whole nine. Like, it was just a whole project. And we worked day and night for like three or four days just to be able to get in the house. And it was, just, and it was a minor, it was a minor renovation. And, uh, but we got in there, and now we're, we're loving it. And it, it took time. The in-between wasn't nice, but now, now we're, we're loving being in the home. Another show that Reagan likes is like a before and after. And I, you guys reveal if you smile when I say this. She loves Pimple Popper. Oh, my goodness. That, that was a revelation, y'all, in our relationship when I realized, like, she's fascinated with it. And, and she, she loves to watch it. Uh, you're, I see you pointing the finger right here. Yeah. And everybody watching online, don't, don't, don't just cut us off just yet. Don't call us weirdos just yet, all right? But, I mean, there's some, there's some crazy stories on there. And it's amazing, really, what she does and how... It affects people's lives. We, we all know when we have blemishes and things that we can't control, how, how it can affect our lives, our self-esteem. And she comes in and she, she works it out and, 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 let, and, and, and helps them. And it, it's really amazing. It's disgusting, but, but it's amazing. But on a personal level and more toward, geared towards a message this morning, I was remembering before I have, I wear glasses, of course, or contact lenses, and uh, uh, I was talking with someone last week, and they said, you need to tell more of your story about how you're from here. And I, I, played, I played high school football at Burns, and I didn't play much in high school. I was on championship teams, and I loved it. And then I walked on at Appalachian State University. I ended up earning a full scholarship and being a captain on the team there, part of national championship teams. But the thing that really made the difference in my game was when I got contact lenses. Like the whole, 
I stopped dropping passes because I could actually see the ball, you know. And I actually started, I actually started doing what I was coached to do and uh, being able to perform at a high level. And it was just a simple change of me getting contact lenses so I could see uh, properly. And it didn't just look like a blur and just all around. I remember getting glasses for the first time and putting them on and realizing that there was texture to the trees. I never knew it before. I just thought it was green, you know. And now I could see the leaves and I could see the texture. It was amazing. And it, it really changed my life. And I, I think proper perspective comes when we have the right lens. And many times, the initial way we see something is not the way, it can be distorted. The enemy likes to distort our experiences in life in order to steal our heart of faith and to, to steal us from being able to move forward in what he's called us to do. I'm going to say that again. The enemy likes to distort our experiences in life, be it things we can control, not control, be it failures, be it, be it victories, whatever it is. He, when we have a victory, he likes to distort it and say, you did that. Look what you did. Rather than being able to see how God has blessed you and graced you to be able to have the success that you have, and instead of letting pride build up, it get, you're able to walk with humility. But that, that's what the enemy, he wants to just subtly, I'm saying that funny, sneak in and distort the way that you see your life, the people around you, the way you see your purpose, the way you see where God's placed you. And I, I think right now in, in the life of Four Points Church, I think right now in the life of the believer worldwide, I, I think the enemy is, is trying to put a veil and distort us from the experiences that we're having in life and God's wanting to give us a fresh perspective of it. I like to call it zoom in and zoom out. When I was a counselor, people would come to me because they're zoomed in on a situation or a circumstance that is overwhelming them. Anybody been there? Yeah, help, help me out this morning. Talk to me. I'm going to try to be conversational and not, not preach like my face off, you know. But... Uh, but they would come to me and they were feeling overwhelmed. And so my first role as a counselor is not to zoom in with them, but let me help you zoom out. Let's talk about this. Let's, let's talk about the way that you're feeling about it. Let's talk about the way that you're thinking about it. Let, let's see a larger context. Let's see that, let's, let's, let, let me help you see that this isn't the way that it always has to be. Let me help you see. And, and I would ask sometimes to, are you coming to me because you want me to listen? Are you coming to me for advice? Or are you coming for me for perspective? Because if I know what you're coming to me for, then I can serve you better. And I can know how to get my mind in gear to help you see. But one of the uh, purposes that God's, we, my wife and I feel like God's given us is to lift others higher so they can see further. And so my goal this morning in a way that cares for your soul and that charges your spirit is to lift you higher so you can see a little further a little past some of the obstacles, a little past some of the, uh, some, some of the battles that you're facing, and let's zoom out for a second. And I, I want to zoom out this morning, and then so we can zoom into this text. So if we look at David's before, we come to this text um, in 1 Samuel chapter 21, which is a significant moment in, in his life, but we have to be able to zoom out for a minute and look at his life and see what happened before we got to this place. You want to do that? David's one of the most beloved characters in the Bible. And I encourage you, if you want to give, I'm going to encourage you to do a lot of Bible reading this week. I hope that's okay. I think it'll be good for your soul, good for your heart, good for your spirit 
But if you want to read this, this story in full, start, David enters in in 1 Samuel chapter 16. And you could, you could just read all the way through the book of 2 Samuel, and I know it will bless you. But here's David's before. This is before, in this text, David is in warfare. He's in warfare with people that he loves. He's in warfare with people that he has served and that have turned against him. He's in warfare with, uh, with still the same enemies that his nation is facing. And he, he's in a real perplexing place when he comes to Ahimelech here in 1 Samuel chapter 21. Before we get to that, we need to know about David that he was born in obscurity. That's what the Bible says. That's what David says. I was born in obscurity. In sin, my mother conceived me. That, that David wasn't just born as some righteous sprout all on his own. That the conditions that he entered in in weren't ideal, but God had purpose for him. And I, I don't know if that, that's just something as encouragement to somebody that maybe you didn't enter into the world in the most ideal, planned, righteous way, but God still had plans for you. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. I'm going to get to preaching too early. Now, he, was born in obscu- he was born in obscurity. It's okay to be obscure. It's okay to be hidden. I don't have to be out in front. It's okay to be behind the scenes, developing before the Lord for what God has for you. He was one of eight brothers. And uh, when, when Samuel, the prophet, came to anoint a king after Saul, the, the first king of Israel, had disobeyed God, that, that God said he was going to remove Saul from this place and that he was going to raise up a king, a man after God's own heart. And so Samuel went to the house of Jesse as he, with a horn of oil, and he's looking to anoint the next king. And Jesse calls seven of his sons but leaves David out. David is on assignment. He's out, he's out shepherding in the wilderness, taking care of his father's flock. And Samuel had the, the, just the spirit of God in him to be able to discern that someone is missing from this space. Is, able, is there not another son? And so they send for David, and David comes in, and, and God says that he's not looking at the appearance of man, but he's looking at the heart. Man, I'm thankful for that. I, I tell people sometimes, I don't want to outsmart you. I don't want to outhot you. I want to outheart you. I, I want to outheart you. I want to be a person of heart, that whenever you get me, you're going to get all of my heart. I can't, I can't promise what it looks like. I can't promise you'll like it, but you're going to get all of my heart. God, God, God you're going to get all of my heart whenever I, whenever I show up. And the anointing of God, uh, Samuel anoints David in the presence of his brothers, in the presence, see, see, this is what's so great. When we're born in obscurity, and we're born maybe outside of what we would call the purpose of God, that God has a way of grabbing hold of us and choosing us and drawing us into his, his purpose. And so the anointing of God finds David when he wasn't even looking for it. The anointing, of, the anointing of God, God's choosing, that's what I'm talking about. You have to be able to look back in your life. Can I give you a zoom out? Look back at, in, over your life and be able to identify the place that God chose you. Be able to identify the time that God chose you. When was it that he drew you in and revealed his selfless, agape, willing to lay his life down love to you? When was it where you received his love and your heart opened up to the goodness of God, where you repented of your sins and you confessed him as the son of God and you stepped into the gift of his righteousness? When was that moment? You have to bring it to mind if you're going to be able to zoom out. 
if you're going to be able to gain perspective. You ha- we, we have to begin to be able to identify God's choosing. When the anointing, when God's choosing finds you, you have to be able to stand up and embrace it. See, here's what God's choosing does. John, John chapter uh, 15, verse, verse 16 says, You did not choose me, I chose you. And I appointed you that you may go and bear fruit and that your fruit would remain and that whatever you ask in my name, it shall be given to you. He, he says, I chose you, I appointed you, and I want you to bear fruit. God's choosing means that he has an appointment for you. An appointment means that he has a purpose for you that is specific to time and place. I'm preaching right now, and I'm speaking this over your life right now. God's choosing to reveal his love to you through his son Jesus and to pour out his Holy Spirit on you is, his, is, is identifying to you that you have a specific purpose and a specific time and place to fulfill it. That's good preaching. And that should be encouraging to your heart this morning that no matter what, what has happened in your life experience, what sins have been committed, the way you entered into a situation, a place, a workplace, maybe you weren't at your best. Well, I like to say it this way. We, we are not always, where we are today is not always the best indication of who we are and where we're going. We don't get the luxury of catching everybody when they show up in our life and at their best. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Anybody showed up on the scene in your life and not been at your best, and you're just wondering, oh, what are these people going to think of me? How's this going to work out? I don't know what the heck I'm doing. I've never done this before. And you, you show up, and you're, you're uncertain, but, but, but God is up to something. And, and, and where we are today is not always the best indication of who God's called us to be. And, and, and I can be able to look at where I am today and say I'm not there yet, but I'm on my way. And, and that's what God's choosing does for you. God's choosing. I, every time that I want to trip up, I want to give up, I'm reminded of God's choosing of me, and that makes me stand up on the inside. Out of all of it, when God could have chose whoever, whatever he wanted to choose, he chose me. He selected me to open up my heart and to live in my heart and begin to, uh, and to, begin to have a ministry and a purpose for him. Then the Bible says the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon David from that day forward. When you, you know when you first start walking with the Lord, and maybe, maybe there's somebody here that's not walking with the Lord, somebody watching online that's not walking with the Lord, and, and I pray today that you would sense God's choosing. I mean, just his, he's placing his hand on you today. You feel his hand touching your shoulder and, and selecting you to be on the team. Not the last pick. Not the last pick for the dodgeball team, but being able to be selected for a specific assignment and purpose that you may bear fruit. The Spirit of the Lord came upon David mightily. Then after this, uh, King Saul became terrorized when the anointing of God was removed over his life. He became terrorized by an evil spirit. And King Saul had he, uh, he, he, his, his, his counselors around him said, you need to send for a minister who, who is able to minister to you when this evil spirit comes upon you. And so out of that, uh, one of the counselors says, I know a guy, and uh, he, he's, he's a skillful musician. He's a mighty man of valor. He's a warrior. He's prudent in speech, handsome, and listen to this, and the Lord is with him. Man, if you, if you don't have anything else going for you, if somebody can look at your life and identify that the Lord is with you, then you've got a lot of things going for you. 
Before anything else, I want, I want the presence of God, that there's a mark that God has made on my life that is identifiable by the people that I'm around day by day, and they, they can tell that I've been with the Lord. And that's the most significant moment. And so when Saul heard it, he said, yeah, let's send for him. And, 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 and David began to minister to him. And every time that evil spirit came upon Saul, David played his harp skillfully, and that evil spirit left. The anointing of God. See, he was anointed, and the spirit of God was upon him mightily, and he was skillful. And so I want to tell you, when you zoom out and, and, and you're gaining perspective, you need to know that you need to develop in spirit and in skill. Spirit and skill. Spirit, of course, is spiritual. Skill is practical. The word skill in Hebrew is yada, which is to know. It's the same word that is used the way Adam knew Eve. He knew, they knew each other intimately. They knew each other closely. They, they, they knew each other like the back of their hand. And they knew each other so well. Skill is when you know something so well that you no longer have to think about it. Skill is when you know how you've, you've practiced something so much, and you, whether, it, whether it be the practice of loving others, the practice of encouraging, or the practice of the way that this worship team plays their instruments. They practice so much that they're skilled, and it's not just that they're skilled, because a skilled musician will not lead us into the presence of God. But someone who has been chosen and is anointed and the Spirit of God is upon them and they have skill, then that, that right there begins to minister to the lives of the people that hear it. It's the same way when you've been anointed to serve others, when you've been anointed to help someone take the next step, when you've been anointed to lead in community and in the discipleship, when you've been anointed for the job that you do on vocation every day of the week, that, that you are the person who is selected, you are the person that God has trusted with the assignment that you have. And man, sometimes we lessen the work that we do because of what it looks like. I wish sometimes we could hear the speech of Martin Luther King Jr. ringing in our ears that if you sweep streets, sweep them like Michelangelo painted portraits. Sweep them like Beethoven composed music, like Shakespeare wrote poetry. Whatever you do, be the very best at it. And if I, I don't care if it's a small task to you or if it's a large task to you, Bring your very best to it and know that God has chosen you for that moment. He chose me to work at Marriott Hotel when I was just graduated with a college degree. He chose for me to work as a guidance counselor. He chose for me to be a pastor. He chose for me to be a coach. And now I'm, I'm serving as, uh, as a director of continuous improvement for an industrial services uh, workplace down in Woodruff, South Carolina, and I'm loving it. Because God chose me for it. And whatever he chose me for, I'm going to bring my all to it. And then doors start to open. We're currently at my workplace. We're doing, we've initiated something called Road to Excel. And it's a workplace discipleship, leadership, and personal development curriculum. And we do it three times a year. It's six-week sessions. We create content, and we distribute it to everybody in the company. And they're at a place where not... A very small margin of the people go to church. We had 32 out of 49 employees engaged with Road to Excel the last time that we ran it. If, if you bring the gifts that God has given you and, and you have skill and you know that God has anointed you and chosen you, then you bring it wherever you go. Are you a teacher? Are you a nurse? Are you a construction worker? Are you a minister? Or what, 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 what is it that you do that God has, you've developed skill in? 
Now, ask God to anoint you if you haven't, if you haven't already experienced that. But marry the spirit and the skill. Here's, what, here's how you develop in both. I got I to gotta move on and get to the text, but I got to lay this groundwork as well. Here's how, here's how you develop in both. If you want to develop in spirit and skill, you have to say, Lord, lead me. It's that, that, that's the starting place. Lord, I, I want to be led by you. I know your heart is to lead me and that your heart is to lead me to places where I'm productive. I know that your heart is to lead me to good ground. So God, help me to follow you. It's that simple. That, that, that's how you begin to develop it. Lord, let me use my gifts. Lead me in the way that I develop my gifts and my skills. And Lord, let me follow you in the way that I use it. So I encourage you, like, begin to pray that prayer. It's so simple. This is how you begin to develop in spirit and skill. God, lead me, and I will follow you. So David refreshed Saul. It was his ministry. He was able, David referred to himself as Saul's servant all the days of Saul's life, even after he was anointed, even after Saul attempted to kill him multiple times. David always considered himself as Saul's servant and a servant of God, a servant of the kingdom. Then David, uh, he comes to battle. He brings the bread and the cheese to his brothers and obeying his father's command to go check on the welfare of his brothers. He brings the bread and the cheese to, uh, to his brothers and he hears a Goliath toning. He hears a giant. He hears a Philistine toning the armies of the living God. And David's not having that. And again, it's about servant. Where the battle wasn't about Goliath, it wasn't about David, it was about who would serve who. And David said, I forbid that my people will serve the gods of the Philistines when we have a living God who has delivered me from the mouth of a bear and a lion and will also give this Philistine to me. He, he knew something of the presence of God. He knew that no matter what weapon he brought to the battle, that the best weapon he had was the presence of God. And he kills Goliath, and then they start singing of David shortly after of that Saul has slain his thousands, but David his ten thousands, and Saul gets jealous and begins to place a mark on David's life. And then the arrows, Jonathan shoots the arrows to David for David to flee from the presence of a seat at the table in the kingdom. And that's what brings us to this text in 1 Samuel chapter 21. What brings you to this moment personally? It's a hypothetical question but it helps you zoom out. What has brought you to this moment? In your spiritual journey, your personal journey, what has brought you to this moment in your marriage? What has brought you to this moment in your life? What has brought us as Four Points Church to this moment in this significant moment in the church's history? What, what has brought you here? We need, we need to ask that question. What, what has brought us to this moment genera generationally? historically and even eternally what is the eternal purpose that God has for us in this moment and now let's begin to zoom in because we we have wounds see that's what steals us from the moment that's what that's what disrupts our perspective of what God is doing we have wounds and we have weapons that are aimed at us and we have these threats that are against us as individual parts of the body of Christ and as the body of Christ collectively and the enemy is, is setting a spiritual assault against his church, against the people of God, 
and, it, and it's time for us to be able to gain our perspective and our position to fight. I've learned in life that we don't always get to pick our battles. Sometimes our battles pick us. The psalmist wrote, from my earliest youth up, my enemies have persecuted me, but they never finished me off. They plowed upon my back, but the Lord has broken their cords. We don't always get to pick our enemies. Sometimes they choose us. What enemy are you facing? Yeah, I'm going down. I'm, I'm going on this deep dive because it matters for your heart and your soul. And it matters for the purpose of God in your life. What are the wounds that you're dealing with? What are the battles? What are the wars that you're fighting? What are those battles that you think you've thought, even as I've thought in my life, man, I thought I would beat this thing by now. I thought I would, I thought I would have triumph by now. What are, what are those things? Because I believe and I believe that we can approach God for that for that victory. And and we begin to ask in these moments, who is on our team? Who's on whose team? Like, is Saul against me? Are, are, are the men in Saul's courts against me? Like, where, where's my help going to come from? Like, what, what, what am I supposed to do next? I don't know if anybody ever wonders that question. And David, in this moment, when he understands that the battle and the warfare that he's facing is to test, transform, is to test him, transform him, and bring him to triumph, his perspective begins to change. So we, one, he comes to the priest alone. That's what the Bible says. When David came to Nob, Ahimelech, the priest, and Ahimelech came trembling to meet him, and Ahimelech said to David, why are you alone and no one with you? You'll read, if you, if you go back and read through this text, you'll see several times where David escaped to a certain place, and this was David's first escape. Jonathan shot the arrows telling him that there is danger ahead and that you need to flee. We talked about last week, sometimes we don't know whether it's fight or flight. We don't know which one's the right thing to do in this scenario for the protection of, of uh, God's purpose for David's life. He had to flee. He didn't want to, but he had to. And in this is fleeing, God would test him and God would transform him. He would triumph him and he would even reveal the quality of his leadership to others around him. He comes to the priest alone. Where do you escape to? I'm talking about when all the noise of life, all the noise on social media, all the noise of the narr narrative in media, all the noise of everything going on in this time in history and in the generation, where do you escape to? I think sometimes, and I'm speaking personally, sometimes we escape to the wrong things. We were talking yesterday that uh, Reagan and I were um, talking about food, and she, she likes, I can eat fried food, and I was like, we were driving down the road, I was like, man, why is it when I pass a cookout or a Bojangles, like, I just start craving it? Like, I, I just want to pull in there, and I don't care if I've just eaten, I just want to pull in there and give me some french fries, some hush puppies, give me some fried chicken tenders with honey mustard, like, give me the whole nasty food thing, right? And she, she loves she loves more of the healthy stuff. So we were, we were talking about it a little bit yesterday, but sometimes people, people escape to food. Sometimes people escape uh, in some way through sexual drive. Uh, sometimes people uh, e escape through, through uh, medication and, 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 and through, you know, darkness and all, all these different things. But we all have these areas where we try to escape 
the reality that we're dealing with because the reality sometimes that we're dealing with sucks. So David comes to the priest alone. He, he escaped to the priest. And when he comes, he says, I need five pieces of bread. And this is, this is where it starts to get good, and I'm, I'm going to hit this really fast. He, he, has five, he asked the priest for five pieces of bread. And this is symbolic because, one, he, you remember he had five stones when he came to, uh, when he came to, to fight Goliath? He had five stones. And, and, and see, it wasn't just a, a rock, uh, that uh, natural rock, but it was a rock of revelation. He had learned that God is with him in battle. He didn't have to use the armor that Saul tried to give him. He used the armor that he was skilled with and that he was anointed to use. And when he used that, he had a rock of revelation that God, who was with me when I killed the, to, killed the lion and the bear, that same God is with me today. He, and, and so we have to learn how to come before God and begin to ask him for revelation. We have to learn to be able to, 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 be able to find that revelation in him. This, this, is, this, is, this is what bread represents, and I'm not going to go too deep on this, but bread was given um, uh, to, to Israel that they had daily bread for their journey, and it was really, it's really manna, which means what is it, but, but God, God gives bread, and, and bread was significant for the Passover because it was symbolic of communion, and, and Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Jesus refers to him as, himself as the bread of life. Bread is significant. He comes to Jesus, and he, 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 he comes to this priest, and he wants five pieces of bread, and this is the point I want to make. You will produce what you consume. This is why it's important, and this is why Reagan is really right in our argument yesterday is she was like, I just, when I eat terrible like that, I just feel terrible. Because when we, when we consume the wrong things, we produce the wrong things. The place that you escape to will determine what you consume. The place that you escape to will determine what you consume. And we, we have to know that our soul and our spirit, our heart, our mind, there's only certain things that can sustain them for a long period of time. Most of the things that we try to escape to are that first response, temporary relief. And we have to be challenged and we have to begin to be like David in these moments where battles are waging within and without. And we have to be able to say, I'm going before the Lord and I'm coming for the sustenance that he will give. And see, I love this, you know, this isn't, he didn't come, he didn't say, give me your sunbeam bread, give me your, your, wonder, your wonder bread, give me your nature's own bread. He said, I want the bread of the presence. I need the bread of the presence right now because I don't know what God's up to in my life. Sometimes we'll consume things just to avoid or be apathetic towards what's really going on rather than to consume things that begin to give me the advantage over what I'm facing. We have to begin to develop an appetite for the things that build us and make us strong to overcome the things that we're facing. When I showed up to play college football at Appalachian State University, I weighed a whopping 148 pounds. I stepped on the scale and the coach was like, bro, I don't know if you're going to make it for real. I remember my first practice, I was playing scout team kickoff return, 
and I, I went and to block somebody, and he flattened me straight on. I broke my tailbone in the first practice. But as my appetite started to change, I gained 25 pounds my first year of college. My appetite changed. I began feeding my body what it needed so I could grow and develop and, and complement with the disciplines that I was engaged in through weight training and running and all of those things, and I began to, to develop. It's the, it's the same way. We, we have to consume to advance. Where are you going? Do you have a vision for where you're going in life? And begin to develop an appetite that, that takes you there to advance towards that vision. Here's the thing where we get stuck. David said, this isn't an ordinary journey. Ahimelech asked him, have you kept yourself pure? Have, you kept your, have your men kept them, themselves pure from women? And David said, we did that on ordinary journeys. How much more so today? For this is not an ordinary journey. We trap ourselves so many times in life when we view our journey as ordinary and insignificant. And sometimes that's what the battle makes us think, right? That's, that's what the wars that wage within and without make us think, is that we've become insignificant to God. It makes us forget his choosing, where the anointing flows, and where we could stand in his choosing, and he begins to, to develop us. And it wasn't an ordinary journey. And he gets the bread of the presence because the word always connects you to the presence. The logos of God, the, the logos of God that is in the scripture and the rhema of God of when God speaks to us by the Holy Spirit through a scripture that we need the bread. The word connects us to his presence and more than we need thoughts, we need his presence. We need a revelation of him stepping into our situation and that's what David had. And then David needed a weapon. And the priest said, I only have the sword of Goliath here. And David said, that's perfect. There's none like it. Give it to me. Because this is this is symbol of the word as well. Because Hebrews says that, that your word is like a double-edged sword. It's able to divide between spirit and between soul. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal. This is, reminds us of this, that our battle is not against flesh and blood. But it's against principalities. It's against the rulers of the air and the God has equipped us. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal. He has equipped us for the pulling down of strongholds to, through obedience to Christ. Taking every thought captive to obedience to Christ. So can we take it to Christ? And it reminds David, he's, I'm sure he thought God was saying to him, I gave you the sling. I sent the arrows. This is a reminder that the weapon pointed against you Will, will become your witness to my power and my presence being for you. I want to encourage somebody with that. The weapon that has been pointed against you, David didn't go to the battle with Goliath with a sword. That's what he left with. He didn't show up with it. He left with it. In the battle that you're facing, God wants you to give you the weapon that's been pointed against you. He wants to put it in your hand where you have authority over it and where it becomes a weapon that doesn't threaten the lives of everybody around you. But it becomes your witness to God's glory, his power, and his presence within you. I want to invite you to stand with your feet. Stand to your feet, not with your feet. God wants to turn the weapon turn it into a witness. David is unique in that he has a relationship with prophet, priest, and king. 
Not many Old Testament characters have relationship with all three. This is significant because when Jesus comes and enters into the world in the New Testament, he comes as prophet, priest, and king. He fulfills all of the offices that have led, that have led the people of God through history. David had a relationship with Samuel, and that relationship lets you know that God sees me. Do you know that God sees you this morning? This message be evidence of that is my prayer. Then the priest, the priest covers me. David could run to the priest Ahimelech and find covering and find shelter, find sustenance, find the things that he needs to go forward. And, and then the king, he, his desire, he desires good for me. The king being in his place means my protection, my provision, my peace, my prosperity, my preservation. And in this moment, David had to come to the priest. And it's a great example because you know what ended up happening? Ahimelech, he was murdered. The priest was murdered because he helped David. When Jesus came, the New Testament writers say he came as our great high priest. And he laid down his life for us. The priest is able to give us the bread of the presence, the sword of the spirit, perspective for the journey. And he gives us his life to cover us. Anybody who wants to take the journey into next week, I encourage you to read the book of Hebrews because I'm coming just to teach about who Jesus is as our great high priest. Because if you're going to move forward into the after that God has for you, into the new beginning God has for you, you got to have a better relationship with Jesus as your great high priest. you got to have, you got to know how to go to the presence of God and say, God, I want the bread of your presence. I want the weapons that you equip me with. And I want to see your life laid down for me to have victory. So what do you ask for when you come to the priest? What do you ask for in his presence? We see here we can ask for bread, for revelation, for sustenance. We can ask God to turn the weapon that's been against us into a witness of his glory. And we can do what Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 through 16 says. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let's hold firmly to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weakness, but one who has been tempted in all things just as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, let's approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace for help at the time of our need. That's what we're doing this morning. And then the after, when we do this, the after is so much different. David finds community in a cave and mighty men develop. David is anointed king and the first thing that he does when he is king 
he goes and he gets the presents back. And then he passed the kingdom that was thriving on to Solomon, his son. Because it's a generational blessing when God gives you the victory. I don't know what you need grace and mercy for this morning, but that's what we're gonna do. God, we're thankful for your presence. As David ran to Ahimelech, so we run to you, Jesus, this morning, our great high priest. We come for covering. We come for your word to be spoken over us and to wash us. We come for the bread of your presence that you would sustain us in our journey. We come that you would turn the weapon that's pointed against us into a weapon that we use as our witness in the earth. And we ask that you would give us a revelation of your life laid down for us, slain for us, so that we can be free to go to the after that you have for us. God, release grace and mercy even now. As people respond to God from their heart, release your grace and your mercy. It never fails. It's never ending. And it's always accessible. God, we praise you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.